Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. As we light the candle of hope, we acknowledge a longing inside all of us. We acknowledge the tension between waiting and hoping. We acknowledge the hope that binds us as we begin our journey through Advent. Lord, thank you for the gift of hope that we find in Christ Jesus. As we look to the birth of Jesus, grant that the light of your love for us will help us become lights in the lives of those around us. Prepare our hearts for the joy and gladness of your coming, for Jesus is our hope. Lamentations 3, 21 and 24. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Amen. Thanks for bringing your kids to church, people. That's really important. When they play your favorite song during worship, you be like, you know, we, we want to start our kids learning to praise right away. And uh, it's not easy to bring your kids to church, and that's, I want to say that before a dedication service. It's a commitment. Every Sunday, as best you can, to bring your kids here over the years to, to uh, be discipled and learn um, from the teachers here. Lionel Richie wrote a song a while back called Easy. And it's I'm easy like Sunday morning. He obviously never brought kids to church. Eh? <laughs> so I want to invite up Eric and Haley and Micah and Susie and their kids to come on up and just stand over here. I've got a few words to them and to us. And uh, we'll have our dedication. Grandparents can stay where they are, but we are going to acknowledge you for sure. Yeah, you can go ahead over here, too, if you don't mind. I wouldn't mind looking at you. Oh, yeah. So this is Micah and Susie Cockrell, and Haley and Eric Van Wick, and Wyke, oh, I was, Wyke, sorry, and Tommy and Willem, Bronwyn, Jed, love that name, Jed. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 7 says, Hear, O Israel, hear families, hear Broadway. 
The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your kids. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. It's poetry to get the point across. Every moment you have, whether you're watching a sporting event, Micah, you can talk about the Lord somehow. Work it in there. Whether you're working uh, out in the nursery, wherever you are, you can be bringing the Lord's teaching into every situation. No matter what, that's what you want to be doing. In the car, at home, traveling, whenever you have a meal together, you are to teach these laws. Four key elements in raising up children in the Lord. Number one is foundation is the Word of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, you need to stand watch over your family. Jesus said in Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. Second key point is your home will be the primary place where their faith is nurtured, where it will be taught and modeled. They'll live about 2,000 hours a year living under you, with you. And what you say and how you model it will be most important. Their eyes are watching, their ears are listening, and their hearts are desiring and loving and wandering, and you need to point them in the right directions. Paul has the specific verse for fathers, but I think mothers, this can relate to you too, but maybe when Paul wrote this, the fathers are struggling with this more than the mothers. It says, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That means just don't frustrate them. Be consistent. Be consistent. They're going to hear the gospel at church, they're going to hear the gospel through you, and they're going to see the gospel, and those two things must match up in your home life. Number three, the church is a partner in equipping you to pass on your faith, to provide all that you need to be the parents you want to be. That means in our services, we have classes, in our library, in our books, and different events that we have. We've, we as a church are partners with you in this. And number four, the church is a partner in teaching and discipling your kids. Your kids. Nursery, it's a start. Then children's church. And there's camps, and there's retreats, and there's youth, and there's kids club. The importance of all the volunteers that do these ministries. For example, Vacation Bible Camp. We had 72 volunteers from this church. Basically a third of them, a third of you, were volunteering for that week. So that kids would know Jesus. Many mentors and teachers over the years is what they'll have. So you're dedicating. I know you guys a little bit. I know you're dedicated to certain things. You are consistent. You are courageous. You're bold. You're hardworking. You know what it means to be dedicated. And now you're dedicating your kids to the Lord. So you need to stay aligned with his word. You need to recognize that you need God's grace and strength. That in your weakness as a parent, you will find strength. That's a promise of scripture. So you need to stay aligned with the word, the wise shepherd. You need to be continually bless your children every day to speak words of faith and love and hope over them. It also means a dedication to this community and some accountability. You will need to be vulnerable, admit your need for help, acknowledge that many people in the church will have a role to play in their faith development. So you bring them to nursery, children's church, kids club, youth, young adults, it keeps going. One of the things we do here at Broadway Church is we have a faith chest for you, and you can put mementos of their spiritual journey over the next 18 years, uh, whether it's uh, 
you know, a shirt from camp, a shirt from vacation Bible camp, or whatever it is that's a little significant memory. Grandparents, that's a big one for you to be putting stuff in there. Uh, spiritual memories, um, whatever it might be. There is in there now a lion, and it represents Jesus. And it means royalty, it means power, it means strength, that he is the king of kings, that he is a conqueror. So there's a line in there for you to just do start with the teaching. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little toy line, just in case you're wondering how big it is. So this is an opportunity to thank God for the gift of life he's given you. You're standing before friends and family and church and you're declaring that you want to live lives that honor God, to give all to Jesus, and teach your children to do the same. You want to model how Jesus lived and have your home a loving place for him to grow up in all these ways. And the church will walk alongside you. So I want to talk about Thomas Parker first. So I asked the parents a few character traits of their kids and what they see happening, what their hopes are for them and why they're dedicating. And this is what they see in Thomas. Loves to make jokes and make people laugh. Way to go, Tommy. Got a big heart for people. It's nice to see that already. He can get very excited over small, simple things. Oh, don't ever lose that, Tommy. And he's a bundle of joy. For Willem, tough to know. <laughs> tough to know. He'll end up being like his big brother, I guess. That's probably what's going to happen. Hopes and aspirations for them. To grow and to know and feel the unconditional love of Jesus. To be confident in who they are as a child of God and to have hearts that are sensitive to the needs of other people. What a great desire and wish for your kids. And you are dedicating Tommy and Willem as an act of commitment, as witnessed by this church community, and you're going to raise your boys to know the Lord and to be examples of Christ's life in front of them. That's great. Bible verse for Tommy. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, Psalm 34, 3 to 5. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. May that be oppressed upon his heart. And for Willem, Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you, Willem, with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I love that idea for all the kids, that the Lord is dancing over them. He's thrilled with them, and he wants to be involved in this. So let's pray for Tommy and Willem at this time. Father, we pray for Tommy and Willem, that you continue to be gracious for them, to draw yourself to them. We pray that they'll live a life worthy of the Lord, that they will please you in every good work, that they will grow in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. May they be delivered from all their fears. May they look to you and know that you look at them with radiance, that your face shines upon them, that you rejoice over them and you love them and you love every part of them. May that be true in Tommy and Willem's life. And so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we dedicate Tommy and Willem to your will and to your Lordship. Amen. Now we come to Jed Christopher David Cockrell. Hopes and aspirations. 
Division I scholarship. <laughs> I take it that's in basketball. He can choose. He can choose, okay. <laughs> to be a man after God's own heart. They're dedicating Jed to show a commitment to plant and grow these seeds of faith in Jesus Christ in his life. They're surrendering control over their son and placing their hope for him in God. And their verse is from the message translation of Micah 6.8. He's already made it plain how to live, what to do, Jed. What God is looking for young, in young men, young women, little boys. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Walk humbly with your God, Jed. Grandpa Dave Corbett's going to come and pray for Jed. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus that you'd rest your mercy and grace upon this young man. We ask you to look with favor upon him, that you'd grant him ears to hear and eyes to see your ways. We pray for sensitivity of the Holy Spirit within him. We also ask, Father, that you would grant him uh, the strength that you've given him, you grant him faithfulness. I ask, Lord, over the resoluteness of his heart, you'd also give him faithfulness and focus to know you. I ask, Lord, in the strength of his capacities, that you would grant him uh, the ability to provide and protect others. I ask that you'd increase the abilities within him in the light of your presence. In Jesus' name, we bless him and commit him to you. Amen. And so, Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we dedicate Jed to your will and to your lordship. Amen. Just a final word to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to continue to shine upon you and be gracious to you as parents. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace for the next few years as you do the most delicate thing. There we go. I'm Bev, this is Charlotte and Anna, and we are part of the missions team and here to introduce this year's Christmas project. Each Christmas, our missions team chooses a cause that we as a church can focus on supporting financially. This year, we are raising money to purchase a sprinter van and fill it with humanitarian aid supplies for the people in need in Ukraine. Through Hungry for Life, we have an opportunity to transfer funds to trusted partners on the ground in Ukraine, who can not only purchase the van and supplies, but oversee deliveries in areas where help is needed. Food, water, medical aid, and more can continuously be, deliver be delivered to Ukrainians in enduring the atrocities of war during a harsh winter using the van. We are invited by Jesus to join him in serving the vulnerable with compassion and determination. This project is one way for us to do just that, a community this Christmas season. Um, for anybody who's new or anybody who's visiting Broadway today, or maybe you just need a reminder, um, 
there's an extra reason why Ukraine is special for us. It's obviously that Ukraine needs compassion and needs aid at this time, and we want to stand up and do that. Um, but if anybody hasn't been aware, we have some pretty amazing people that are part of our church family, Chad, Mary, and Tatiana Martz. Um, they have been connected to the Ukraine because Mary's family is there, and they have been serving in Ukraine for, I don't know how many years, a number of years in massive capacities. And last year, uh, they chose to move to the Ukraine. They were going to move back there full time, and then the war happened. And they went through a lot. So if you don't know about that, there's lots of ways you can connect with them and learn more about that. Um, but the bottom line is, more than ever, we believe that the Martz family is more than ever invested in making sure that love and compassion and aid is reaching the Ukrainian people. And so are we. So we want to partner up and be able to do that. So we... We created a QR code um, so that it's easy for everybody to share and uh, on social media as well as handing out pamphlets. So essentially, for some people who may not know what a QR code is and who don't know how it works, you take your phone, uh, you go to your camera, and then you point to the QR code which is not up there, <laughs> but if, you, if it was up there, you'd point to the QR code and you'll see a little uh, yellow box around the QR code. You touch that and it takes you directly to the webpage where you can donate to our cause. It will also um, take you to the page where you can find more information on the marts as well as why we chose the Ukraine this year. Final thing is, you see a spiffy little van right here. If anybody's wondering what a Sprinter van is, this is what it's like. It's like a big old delivery van or an Amazon van that you see running around. Probably be white like this one. And it's big enough that people can stand up in it so they can grab all the supplies and be able to do things. Something I forgot to share is, and I don't think we spoke to it, but um, if you haven't been keeping up with Ukraine news, a lot, mostly all, of the men, young men, and anybody capable is on the front lines in the war. I think we can all understand and respect that. So things like physically rebuilding homes, um, stoves, other things like that to keep the homes warm right now, that's not possible. So this is why the van is so tangible at this point, is we want to be able to do things like rebuild houses and infrastructure and everything else. But at this point, getting a van that people can drive around to meet the basic needs of everybody who's living in shambles of houses with no heating, and no plumbing and no electricity during the winter time, that's what we can do. So that's why the van is so important tonight. I'm sorry I forgot to say that at first. So this van is big enough that people can stand up inside of it and they can grab all the stuff that they need. So not only do we want to purchase a van, we would love to fill a van like this to the roof with toiletries, with hygienic supplies, with medical aid, with food, with firewood, with uh, fuel. That's what we want to be able to do. So I hope you can kind of envision that a bit more. Um, so this little fancy van, it has a little fancy offering spot in it. And we're going to have this floating around. So quite often on Sunday mornings for the next four weeks, you'll see it up here at the front somewhere or else maybe even at the back. So that's a great place that if you have money um, or if you have an envelope for offering that you want to drop in, this is a cool visual reminder for you to do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Just a few announcements before we move into our text, mostly in the book of Romans. There are cards in your pew. We'd love for you to fill it out. If you're new here or visiting with us, been here a few Sundays in a row, uh, give us your information. You can leave it at the info desk in the, that corner of the foyer, and uh, we can get information to you that you might want. 
The other thing is uh, go back there. We have a welcome card, again, a QR code on there, and it gives you access to all the events and our websites going on. Just so you know, emergency exits, I'm going to pretend I work for an airline right now. They are that way, <coughs> okay? Unless the fire is over there, then they will be that way, okay? We have ushers trained and able and willing to do all that needs to happen so we can be out of here in time in case there's a fire. There is an AGM tonight at 7 p.m. You can pick up the packets in the foyer. And the balcony will be open next week, more room. And if you are a slower walker or don't like walking a lot of steps, you have a wheelchair, a walker, a cane, please enter through the office entrance. And okay, we'll let that happen till maybe 10 o'clock. We're still working at how it works here. We don't want people that are, are struggling with stairs to have to do the big stairs that you all came in. But generally, you saw the entrance, how it worked. You'll figure it out for next Sunday, and we'll be here. Maybe come five minutes earlier than normal. Just, just do that, and uh, we can all get rolling here. So the advent of hope. The hope candle is about our hope we have in Christ, but it's also a reminder of hope that's still to come. The word Advent means arrival, so we are celebrating the first arrival of Jesus at, Beth at, at Christmas at Bethlehem, but we also look forward to a second arrival when he returns in all his glory, and we look forward to that. So today we're talking about hope now that we can celebrate and possess and have, but also a future hope. Do you need hope this morning? Do I need hope this morning? Does our world need hope? And how do we bring hope into this world? Well, this is one way to do it, is that Christmas project, bringing a van into the Ukraine. Anxiety grips us right now. Depression, anger, resentment, frustration, inflation, mortgage rates, what to cut out of the budget, looking at our trips outside the city, how many do we do? It's very concerning right now. People are losing hope, health, floods, fires, bird influenza, robberies, murders. Just look in the paper, and there are all kinds of reasons to not have hope. If you're sitting in the Ukraine now, you have no heat, no food, no shelter, no water, no power, no energy. Can the advent of hope be hopeful for them? God knows our hearts. He knows what you and I carry in our soul. He knows when our hearts are heavy. And so he says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden with a lack of hope. And I'll come in and I can make a difference in your life. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can do some work in your soul. Statement I found interesting this week as I read it. Don't let your happiness or your hope depend on something you may lose. Our hope must be based on something we know we cannot lose. And that's why we can fluctuate so much. We put all our hope in this temporary thing that can, be, can disappear, can be taken away, and boom, we lose hope. So don't let your happiness or your hope or your joy or your peace depend on something you can lose. What can we not lose? And that's Jesus. It's the sacred place. It's where we are invited into a holy relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, someone you cannot lose. That is the hope. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you and me with all joy and peace 
as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to teach us a a German word this morning. Perhaps you've heard it before if you've studied philosophy or sociology. It's called zeitgeist. Anyone familiar with that word? Zeitgeist? It's from two German words meaning time and spirit. And what does it mean? It's the general intellectual, moral, cultural climate of an era. Kind of our cultural moment here is our zeitgeist. What are we all going through together? How are we thinking? How are we not thinking? What's the morality of our culture right now in this era? It's what's going on at a certain time in history. So how would you describe your soul zeitgeist right now during these past few months? What's happening to your spirit in this time? Can we have hope when our zeitgeist is not comfortable. Another, then I want to add to this idea of zeitgeist what psychologists call the human condition. And this is what makes us unique amongst the rest of creation. We are aware of the passage of time. We can remember the past and we can imagine and see a future. And we are intimately aware of our own mortality. So this term, this idea of human condition, describes the joy we can have, but also the terror we can have, and other feelings and emotions associated with this existing. Only humans are known to ask themselves questions relating to the purpose of life, beyond the base need for survival or the nature of existence beyond this life. What is the meaning of my existence? Why was I born? Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? These are human condition questions. Humans struggle to find answers to these questions. And the very fact that we can conceive of them and even ask them and imagine them is what defines the human condition in the sense of the term. I look at Ecclesiastes, the entire book, but specifically chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, it's great writing about zeitgeist and the human condition. It's about the passage of time. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to weep and a time to to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to be silent and a time to speak. This is what humans are about. This human condition that we have can make life unbearable at times because our mind can wander in these things and think about these things. But it is the same condition, that human condition, that brings us our greatest joys and hopes. I grew up on a little bit of a hobby farm, and when that calf was born, there didn't seem to be extra zeitgeist going on with the cow. But when my own kids were born, talk about joyous zeitgeist. (laughs) We're just born and we live differently than the animal world. If you were to watch a bull riding competition, and if the bull wins, you sometimes can't tell. There's no big difference between winning and losing. They don't run around trash talking the other bull riders. They just go back to the corral. This is the human condition. We can have so much joy, but then so much 
defeat feelings where we can just feel totally downcast. That's the human condition. It's what makes us human. It's a beautiful part of us. My grandpa, back in the day, he was the mayor of the township of Chilliwack and then the amalgamated city. Maybe some of you remember this. He used to have dewworm races up in Ryder Lake. So my grandpa would go and his, uh, we lived beside him. We'd dig out that big dewworm and he'd take it up to Ryder Lake and compete against other dignitaries and politicians in the city. So when the dewworm won, it didn't seem to make much of a difference to the dewworm. But man, the owner of that dewworm was quite excited. They had a human condition of joy, but the dewworm couldn't care less. You go to the pig or the dog races at the PE. The humans have their whole soul into it, and you can tell who wins and who loses, but you can't really tell by looking at the dogs. I'm just saying this is what makes us human. We are capable of so much joy and exaltation, but the opposite extreme too. And that's painful, right, to have both of those. So sometimes we, no, yeah. So you put this combination, this condition in combination with a world that is troubled and sinful and desperate, and we end up with a people who are in desperate need for hope and peace and joy. So in Christ, we read the Holy Spirit enters our lives and anchors us to the promises of God, something we cannot lose. And we live in hope despite the spirit of the times around us and our human condition. Here's some examples from Scripture. After his resurrection, Jesus approached some sad-looking people walking on the road to the town called Emmaus. And he asked them, what are you talking about? What are you discussing? They stood still. Their faces were downcast. And they said, well, this Jesus of Nazareth, I'm in Luke 24, 21, this Jesus of Nazareth was the one who was going to save us. He was our great hope. He was going to redeem us and give us back our land and do what we want to do. But they were downcast because he was crucified. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. These followers of Jesus had their hope deferred and their heart was sick. They were downcast. They had a dismal spirit. Their hopes were deferred. They were sick in their heart. They felt some hopelessness without hope. These are gut-wrenching depression experiences. We've all had them. It's part of being a human. And when we experience devastating defeats or persistent situations that don't change, then we lose hope. Paul experienced this when he wrote in 2 Corinthians. And he had many opportunities to lose hope. There's lists of all the punishments that he took, the persecution that he took, the times in jail, the times left for dead outside of a city. And he says this in 2 Corinthians, I'm not going to lose heart. I got lots of reasons to lose heart and to lose hope, but I'm not going to. Because to to lose heart would be to be be hopeless. So he writes this, I'm hard-pressed. You might be hard-pressed on every side, but because of Jesus You don't need to be crushed, perplexed. We can be perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, the world's against you, but not abandoned by God. Struck down, but not destroyed. He says, I don't lose heart. I don't lose hope. I fix my eyes on what is seen. I don't fix my eyes on what is seen, but I fix it on what is unseen. That's where my hope is. I live by faith and not by sight. 
So to the disciples and these men on the road, Jesus the Messiah was supposed to rescue them from Israel, get them their land back and their autonomy back. It was about them as an individual person and an individual nation. They did not think of the rest of the world. They didn't care so much that the rest of the world would have hope. They were just centered on themselves. They only cared about their little world. Their hope was only for themselves. They didn't consider bringing hope to the world, to their enemies even, to the people outside. They wanted power over the Roman world around them. And Jesus had some surprises for them, a different kind of hope. Their hope was for themselves and themselves alone. They were perplexed when their hope was nailed to the cross. Their eyes were on the seen, not the unseen. They were living by sight and not by faith. Jesus was supposed to save the day for them. He was their literal hope. But God had other plans. They failed to see beyond the crucifixion. They didn't even understand the crucifixion. But what they had seen on the cross, as we now know, at the end of this story, was not the end of hope, but the cross is the beginning of hope. Their hope was nailed to a cross, and the hope of the world was raised to life from that death. Do you feel like your hope has been put to death? Nailed onto a cross to die and be buried forever? Never to be seen again? Jesus says, don't forget my words. I am the resurrection and the life. I am your hope. The resurrection is now. We're in this hope now. But hope also anticipates a future that is better than the present. One of the Hebrew words for hope is the idea of waiting with tension. We hate waiting for things to be the way we want them to be. We wait in tension and with tension. And the Hebrew word is this idea of like a, a rope or a cord that when you're holding it in tension, there's, there's um, some stiffness there. And this is the idea of waiting. It's tension. It's tension. It's pressure. You pull it tight and then release. Tension and anticipation, a twisting and a stretching, and it suggests the tension of enduring. That's the word for hope. It brings this idea of waiting. This word acknowledges how desperately hard it is to have hope because we're always waiting for more things. It acknowledges the tension that grows while waiting. It's like we're being stretched. We're being twisted with a tension that is building up day after day. We don't see a visible change, but inside God is at work bringing hope into your soul. In Isaiah, here's a reference. It says, God is a farmer who plants vines and he waits. He has hope. He's waiting in hope for a crop. Those of you who are farmers, you know what this means. You know what will happen outside of a drastic drought or 800 days of straight rain? You get it. But that's, you, you are like God in that way, waiting and waiting and waiting. Just a matter of time to grow. There's tension and there's stress as we wait for the hope. And so our hopes are the strands that run through our life. They define our struggles, our successes, and our setbacks, our strengths, and our shortcomings. That's why we need to celebrate the arrival of hope. Within all this tension, within all this waiting, we have hope now, but we still look towards a future hope. Interesting that the word hope is not found in the Gospels. The noun hope is not found at all in the words of Jesus. And the verb to hope is only found five times in the Gospels, and it's the idea of trusting. 
In Matthew 12, 21, is one reference. Isaiah, has the prophecy about Jesus, it's in his name the nations will put their hope, they will put their trust. And then in John 5, 45, it says, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you have put your hope on Moses and kind of what he stands for in the law. So isn't it interesting? Here we have an advent of hope, and this is not a word Jesus ever used. He never taught on hope. They never used the word. Why would that be? I think when people saw Jesus, what did they see? They saw hope, personified. Living embodiment of hope. He didn't need to describe hope. He was hope. You want to see hope? Look at me, people. You don't understand hope? Look at me. Listen to my words. They are words of hope, and I am hope. And that hope will be put on a cross, will be raised from the dead. You won't understand it all, but I am hope. So anytime he spoke about himself, he was speaking about hope. I am the light of the world. That's hope. I am living water. That's hope. I am the good shepherd. That's hope. I am food for your soul. That's hope. When do I need food? No jokes about my appetite, please. When do I need food? When I'm hungry. When do I need sleep? When I'm tired. When do I need air? When I'm out of breath. When do we need hope? When we're hopeless. We would not know of hope if we didn't know of no hope. Of no, of, if, we only, if we didn't know of hopelessness, that's where we appreciate what the hope Advent is about because we've experienced the opposite of hope. He says, come to me. I can be hope in all these situations. Hope is what it means to be human. To need hope is to sense that we have hopelessness even, but we live in hope. We wouldn't need to light a candle of hope if we didn't have times of hopelessness. But we're in that hope now in Jesus. We can rest there and we can wait there in the tension of it. So what's it like in this zeitgeist and the spirit of the times, our human condition, and we contemplate this idea of having hope now but knowing there's a better hope to come? How do we, what's, what's normal in this? You know, sometimes we get really critical of ourselves and depressed because we have this idea that I become a Christian. I invite Jesus into my life. The Holy Spirit comes into me and he overpours his love for me and out into the world. And we're like, but things don't always work out. Ah. No, this is what's normal. Okay, this is the normal Christian life. It's normal to not have all the answers. Okay, be aware of a pastor, teacher, that has an answer for everything. It's normal to lose hope and have a sense of disappointment with what this world has to offer. It's kind of normal. It's normal to have your heart sick because of disappointment. It's normal to need relief and to experience trouble. Read the life of the early fathers of Jesus. But they didn't lose hope. They didn't lose heart. Why? Because they settled themselves into that relationship with Jesus. And it's normal, people, to need hope, to want hope, to crave hope this morning. That's why the hope advent is about hope now, but hope then, when Christ returns. We're resident aliens, as someone has said. We are not of this world. We went through this in our last series. But we live in this world, and we 
experiences, we experience glimpses of the hope that Jesus has in store for us. So we need to convince ourselves there is more to this life. There is more to the hope that you have now. The best is yet to come. C.S. Lewis has a great quote. This advent of hope serves as a spiritual homing device, placed deep within our hearts to lead us to God. We are like birds in a cage, knowing that we were meant to fly, hearing about it, and seeing it, but not totally experiencing it. We will not fly like we were meant to fly until the next life. People, there is more to come where we fly. We're in a cage in this world. We can still fly and enjoy life, but it is limited. There's greater hope to come. So we need, as we go through this life and want to have hope, we need to learn to live with contentment with what this world actually offers. This is the human condition. We know there is more. There is something else out there. Things could be better. People could be better. People could do better. And you combine that with our sinful nature and we complain, we can never be pleased, we're never happy, and we're never full of joy. That's not where to live. I was a youth pastor in downtown Vancouver at First Baptist Church way back when, and I got to know some of the people living um, in the area. And this one young man, he, didn't, uh, he lived in a small little apartment, and he didn't have a popcorn maker. And so I bought him a popcorn maker. I thought that'd be a good deed. Should thrill him. Didn't have to put it on the stove anymore. So I gave him the popcorn maker at Christmas, and he was disappointed because he didn't have an on-off switch. You just could plug it in and plug and unplug it. He knew there was something better out there, <laughs> but he didn't hadn't learned contentment. You know, sometimes we're just never happy. We're never pleased because we know, we know in our heart there is something better out there, but we're living in this sinful world now, and so we need to learn some contentment in this world. That's what Paul says. We're created with a need to have hope and to give hope, and so let's keep doing that. And we need to give ourselves to bring hope to people. That's what a Christmas project is about. We want to create a better future of hope for people. We need to go after that. So the hope candle is about today, now, in Christ, but also a light to remind us of hope fulfilled when he comes back and we experience everything we know we should experience. There is a new earth, a new heaven, and a new body that will not perish. Our hopes are the strands that run through our life, defining our struggles, our successes, and our setbacks, our strengths and our shortcomings. That's what it means to live in hope. All that kind of tension and pressure. Romans 5, 2 to 5. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, in our tensions, in our pressures, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. If you're in a place right now of suffering, you're on your way to hope. That's what this scripture promises. You are on your way to hope. And hope does not disappoint us, it says, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I'll ask the band to come on up. In this life, people, you will need hope. That's why we celebrate a hope advent. It's there for us now. 
In this life, we need to know there is more hope to come. The world is not all it should be and not all it will be. And we need the then kind of hope, that future hope. So may the God of hope fill all of you with joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit to your world around you. Overflow people. The spirit of the times and the human condition of people need this kind of hope. So today we lit the candle of expectation and hope. May it remind each and every one of us about God's great promise to us. He is our hope, he is our redeemer, and he is our savior. Amen.